Hi, everyone. Welcome to Corporate Quitter. Today's episode is so perfect because I've spoken to so many of you. And right now is a really weird time where we're experiencing setbacks. We're changing our pathways, maybe reconsidering where we are in our lives. And so this episode and our guest, Amy, is perfect for this. So her name is Amy Schoenthal. She's a journalist, marketing consultant, and the author of The Setback Cycle, a book about how today's prominent founders and leaders overcome obstacles to find success. In her years spent profiling these leaders for outlets like Forbes and Harvard Business Review, nearly every discussion revealed a common theme. What they learned during their biggest setbacks led them to their most successful ventures. And as someone who has dealt with a ton of setbacks, especially in the entrepreneur world, I can also guarantee and kind of be part of that and saying that like success happens when you have those setbacks. But so thank you so much for coming on and just doing what you're doing, because I think a lot of people like we've talked about, setbacks seem to be bad, but they're actually really, really great. I mean, relatively speaking, once you're over them, right? So yes. so what's your background? How did you, I mean, obviously you were, you know, writing for Harvard Business Review and all that, but like why specifically talking about the setback cycle? Why did you choose to kind of go down this avenue and profile these leaders and all of that? Of course. Well, it was actually in profiling all of these leaders and hearing the stories about their career journeys or whatever series of life events led them to create whatever big successful thing they were being interviewed by the media for. When you do something often enough, you start to identify trends and common themes that you're seeing. And over the past few years, I mean, every time, I think almost every time I spoke to someone about their journey, the part where they really lit up and started talking about the pride that they had and what they built seemed to be born out of some sort of setback. And that could be an earth shattering one, a complete life pivot, career pivot, But it was also in the micro everyday setbacks that just kind of give us those small lessons of resilience that get us to where we are today. And I I didn't find anything that really outlined this. You know, there's lots on post-traumatic growth or learning from our mistakes or seeing failure as an opportunity, but there was nothing about like this entire concept of setbacks that people were really, you know, focused on. And, And a setback is defined as a reversal in progress. Mm-hmm. So it's when you're on some sort of path forward and all of a sudden you are bumped backwards unexpectedly, either by someone else, by you, by society, by any combination of factors. And so I just really wanted to explore that concept and give it its own you know, space so we yeah. could understand our life experiences in a new way. One of the things you just mentioned was like mistakes and how that's different from setbacks and things like that. So like what is a setback and the cycle, right? You say a cycle. It's not just Mm -hmm. a singular thing. How is it different from a slight hiccup, right? What are the micro versus major setbacks? Like why is that different? What's the differentiation between those two? So a setback isn't necessarily a mistake that you made. It could be, but it isn't necessarily. And then conversely, every time you make a mistake, it's not necessarily throwing you into the setback cycle. You could just make a mistake, right? Like I was, it's snowing in New York City today and I was just doing remote school with my daughter and she made a math error and so she fixed it. You know what I mean? That's not Mm -hmm. a setback. Like it's an error that you can quickly fix. Sometimes you make a mistake that sends you into a setback, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you are sent into a setback because of your mistake or because of someone else or because of a societal issue or because of factors that you have no control over. So so setbacks aren't always your fault. They're not always born of a mistake. And so that I think, yes, of course you can learn from setbacks, whether they're your fault or someone else's. There's also a lot to be said about 
learning from your mistakes, but not getting stuck in a cycle of like rumination or obsession, you know, like there's a healthy way to do that. And a lot of us, especially I think the most ambitious and the most perfectionism seeking among us can really fall into getting hung up on, you know, I made this mistake. Oh, yeah. And if I taking... did, did the different path, maybe things would be different. Maybe finances yeah. would be better. Maybe the relationship would be better. Like, maybe yeah. I'd have the success I'm looking for. Yeah, I, it can be It can be really just not a good it can time. Be like, it can be really, debilitating. Yeah, put you in a real deep, dark place. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering for setbacks like we we mentioned mistakes and things that are negative could a setback happen from like a positive instance is that a thing too or is it explicitly negative i mean sometimes setbacks can be positive i quite often they lead to something positive and that's sort of the thesis of the book that i that i explored but one person's setback could be a green light for another person so one of the common one of the most common career setbacks is being laid off or being fired. You mm-hmm. know, obviously you're working on a path, you're going forward in your career and you're bumped backwards. You are, you know, that that journey has ended and now you have to kind of scramble and reboot and figure out what you're going to do next. But for some people, and this is actually my story, like some people, they get laid off and it's just a green light to go do the thing that they were always wanting to do, but maybe a little too scared to pull the trigger themselves. You know what I mean? And so, yes, of course, setbacks can be positive. And then one type of setback can mean many different things to many different people, depending on the circumstances and the person who's experiencing it. Are there differences between like side quests? Like that's what I like to call if you get like slowly like pushed into a different direction temporarily to then go back on the path. Or like I'm just trying to understand the lingo. Is setbacks explicitly like, okay, we're taking 10 steps backwards to then move forward in the future? Or is it just... Yeah, like what's the entire kind of, what is it and what is it not? So I'll take you through the cycle. Okay, that, yeah, that'd be great. I'm like, what is, why the cycle? Yes. What's the cycle? I'm going to yeah. tell you about the cycle. It's four phases. The first phase is establish. And one of the most surprising things I learned in my research was that so many people, again, I have experienced this as well, so many people sleepwalk into setbacks, I mean we willingly enter them, you know, on our own accord, we ignore the signs and we just kind of push forward because of inertia, not by conscious choice. A lot of people sleepwalk into setbacks. So I have a whole section dedicated to waking yourself up if you think you're sleepwalking into a setback. So once you do wake up, you've established that you're in your setback. And of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you could be thrown into it instantly, right? It could For some people, it could take years to establish. For some, it could take two seconds. And so once you're in established, you know what's going on, you recognize the moment you're in. Phase two is embrace. You have to acknowledge the moment you're in and actually work through it and try to identify the information that's coming at you. Why does this feel so bad? Where have I experienced this before? Is it bringing up any, you know, sort of levels of insecurity or self-doubt that I have experienced before? And what clues can I take? from this experience, right? Back to your idea of learning from our mistakes. If it was a mistake I made, what did I do wrong and how could I do better next time? If it was a mistake that someone else made, how could I you know, productively talk to them about it or make sure that that doesn't happen again? And if it's a societal level error or issue that you had to you know, encounter, how can I better prepare for the unexpected next time I go into a new business venture or enter into some sort of partnership, business, relationship, romantic, you know, et cetera, all these Mm -hmm. things. And so embrace is really just like gleaning the data 
before you go and do anything about your situation. The third phase is my favorite. That's called explore. Oh, I love that that, (laughs) that, I think it's the best one because it's, it's that like exciting, everything is potential, but you don't really have to commit to anything yet. And I think it's maybe where you were starting to go with your like side quests. Yeah, I was just curious, because right when you, especially mm-hmm. when you're like deep in the exploration phase to validate the feeling or the experience, you're like, oh, is this the thing that I'm doing? Like you yes. almost get really lost and you, you go into this, I don't want to say like a deep dark lake, if you will, as opposed to stepping into a puddle because you really are fully like, Jesus take the wheel moment of like, yeah. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm enjo- sort of enjoying this and I don't really, yeah. like cool, like, let's just see what happens. And so, I mean, if that lasts months or even years of an exploration, like you're kind of yeah. like, wow, I feel lost. Like, I don't even know what, what am I doing? And when people ask yeah. you too, holidays come around, you get, you know, you've been laid off for mm-hmm. six months and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like playing in paint. You're kind of like, yeah. okay, what does I that mean- even mean? The, the cliche, I think, visual that people have when someone gets laid off, it's like they go take a pottery class. It's like, yeah. <laughs> that is totally part of the explore phase. But there's a yeah. reason it's a cliche, right? It's because it's this being laid off. And I know we keep using this as an example, but it's it's a pretty good one. And it's, well, I think it's, it's, it's pretty relevant one. too. It's yeah. very relevant, especially right now. When you get laid off, you you have this moment of, oh my God, everything I was planning for and working towards is now gone. But I, I have a quote from someone in the book who said, when the walls crash down, all of a sudden the whole room opens up. Mm-hmm. And you have all this, you have a little bit more time, you have a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Of course, you're nervous, you're panicked. Well, how am I going to, you know, pay my bills, get health insurance? Like there's all these practical things that you need to address, of course. But at the same time, this is a moment to take stock of your situation and think, wow, I was on that path and I was moving forward, but... Maybe there were things I didn't love about that. And I was just, again, moving forward because of inertia. And so how can I reroute? And how can I go find my next opportunity in a way that's maybe more congruent with my values or maybe something that, you know, gives me more of a sense of purpose and fulfillment in some way, right? Or or even if it's like, how could I go make more money? Great. Like, go find that out. You know, like there's all kinds of things that you can do in the explore phase because that's what you're doing. You're just exploring. Yeah. I think sometimes though we put a lot of pressure on the exploration phase, at least from a business perspective. I'm like, this needs to be the thing that makes the money, that makes it all come together. And it's like, it's great. And it's also like the pressure itself doesn't actually help the exploration phase at all. Well, Um, that's why the phase is explore because there's like no expectations right now. And one of the um, exercises I have in the book during the explore phase is an expectations audit. Because all of our expectations and that pressure that we put on ourselves, it comes from somewhere. Maybe mm-hmm. it comes from ourselves. Quite often it comes from our parents, our teachers, society, our community, our culture, imposing certain expectations on us that maybe were not our own. Yeah. And so that's why I think if you're the entrepreneur and maybe you haven't you know, figured out how to explain your job to your parents yet, you go home for the holidays and you struggle because you're not like on that traditional path. You're not like the doctor, lawyer, teacher, like sort of expect, you're not meeting the expectations of your community, of the place where you were raised. And so I have a whole exercise that helps you kind of figure that out. But the great thing about Explore is that you don't have to put pressure on yourself yet. You're just exploring. The fourth phase and the final phase of the setback cycle is emerge. And that 
is when you kind of have your phoenix moment, you rise from the ashes, you know what you're going to do, and that is all great, but there's a lot that comes up in the emerge phase because what happens when you spend so much time strategizing and planning and figuring things out? You are exhausted. Mm-hmm. You are so tired that you know taking a plan is one thing. Making a plan and taking a plan and setting it up is one thing. Putting it into action, taking that first step into the thing that you say you're going to do is so scary. That's the part where I think the pressure comes in. Yeah, especially so, if it's completely new too. Like if you're in a exactly. different career, different avenue, like it's you have no no experience to pull from or even like I would say not a guiding light, but like I could say, okay, I went from one corporate job to another. Cool, maybe they're not the same industries, but at least they're like corporate experiences. Like we know the jargon. We know how to play nicey-nice and play the game. But like when you do things on your own, completely different field, completely different experience and kind of all of that. But I'm wondering, can there be setback cycles within a setback cycle? Like can there be like layers Happens all the time. You have a huge setback that you're working through. And then of course, like many micro setbacks come up throughout that process. And there is... There are several stories in the book where that happens, you know? You're working yeah. through it. I mean, because that's life, right? You know, the hits just kind of keep coming. I know. I just... <laughs> but through it, you you build resilience and you build, I think, you develop the tools to work through it. And the people who go through setbacks most, I guess, you know, I, I kind of hate this word, but like the people who work through setbacks the most productively are those who have been through them before. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I I mean, it is subjective to who the like, person is and what they've experienced, because I think every single person, I don't think there's a single person who hasn't experienced setbacks, but there's definitely a level and like volume of setbacks that other people oh, have experienced yeah. that maybe one, it, right? It's all relative. But so we had talked about micro versus major setbacks and talking about this, you know, you can have cycles within the cycles. Other than acknowledging these four pieces within the cycle and like each, there's tasks and things to do within each one. Is there other like setback research or something that was like really exciting or just like, oh my God, I, like this would be a game changer had I known it when I was experiencing this setback? Oh my God. I mean, I want, I feel like this is an annoying answer, but it's like the whole <laughs> cycle, just the fact that like there is a cycle, there is a framework that can get you through it is game changing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that what I wanted to do when I explored the concept of setbacks and I started talking to experts like psychologists, a neuroscientist, a few executive coaches, I said, you know, why are setbacks so transformative or why do they seem to be so transformative? Is it biological? The answer is yes. And is it... Wait, is it really? It's biological? Yes. Your brain is hardwired to learn more from setbacks than successes. Wait, really? Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was biological. I just thought it was like... (laughs) Uh, okay okay now I need to know more <laughs> are you ready do you want a little, do you want a mini science lesson from an absolutely non-scientist <laughs> so our brains are always working towards rewards right mm-hmm. you, you've heard of this like the reward yeah. center of our brain the dopamine so we're always, hits and, exactly yeah. so we're always chasing rewards and that's why you hear about dopamine hits and dopamine dips we're trying to get those hits and we're trying to move away from the dopamine dips so when you have a setback it is generally a dip in dopamine. Mm-hmm. It is when you it, it is that negative experience that your brain is always trying to avoid. And that kind of experience is more impactful. It, it is your brain remembers it more vividly than it remembers the positive experiences, which is not great for our human yeah. experience, but our brains actually shift 
And it's like the data that you input into the learning center of your brain, which is called the basal ganglia. That's sort of the center, your brain's command center is the basal ganglia. And that is where it takes previous experiences and, you know, decides what to do in, in future actions. Right. And so it's, it's like your learning center. It's like how you learn. And those dopamine dips are really strong factors into how your brain learns because it wants to avoid that negative experience at all costs. And the dopamine hits, they're great. But when everything is going well, you're not really thinking about how you could change things. How could this go better? But when things are going poorly, you're thinking, okay, hold on. Let's learn. Let's figure something else out. You have to work harder. It takes more energy. And the brain uses a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so when it uses that energy, you know, that's what fosters learning and creativity and innovation. And so, I mean, it's just, it's so fascinating. And there's so much more to it. Like, I am just barely scratching the surface. But when I interviewed this neuroscientist, Chantel Pratt, she told me that she proved in her lab that people who have experienced setbacks are more hardwired to learn from them. So it's, it's just so interesting. And it makes is there sense. like a threshold? Like, is there a threshold in terms of like, if you experience so many setbacks, like you actually stop, not that you stop learning, but like it doesn't grip, it doesn't grasp but grab as well. Or like, no, it actually like reinforces it more. I think that's very dependent on the person. Okay. Right? I just, you know, was I curious if there's like a, you know, the There's, sponge is already satiated like we can't anymore. Probably. I mean, the answer is probably, but I can't definitively say that because it really depends on the person, depends on their level of strength, resilience, past trauma, and how that's informing their future actions. And every person and all of our brains, Chantel would tell you this, our brains are so different from each other. You know what oh, I mean? For there sure. are people who will take a setback and let it totally debilitate them. You know, they will get stuck in the cycle of rumination. They will blame themselves. They will blame others. They will feel so much shame that they can't, you know, work past it. And that's why we have so many, you know, mental health resources available. And that's, you know, that's sort of a whole other situation where people really need to just seek help, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, when you but were... for... Oh, no, ahead. no, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, for the everyday setbacks, for, for the setbacks that people can withstand right, can maintain a healthy level of, okay, let me learn from this, let me absorb the information and use it productively to move forward. That's how you can go through the cycle and just rewire your brain to, to foster learning. Yeah. Do you find that there was in your research, like, I don't want to say threshold again, but like maybe differences in how people uh, deal with setbacks or things like that, dependent on their age or even like not socioeconomic status, but maybe location? Like, are there differing, different factors of how people handle setbacks based on... I'm sure there are. I, I would think that there are. But was there anything definitively of like, oh, if you more experience more setbacks in like your teenage years and mm-hmm. when you're an adult, you can handle life? I would assume that's the case, but it's hard to probably gauge. Well, I'll say two things. Number one, I think more marginal, the more marginalized groups, the more marginalized group you are in, you are going to withstand more setbacks. Mm-hmm. People are going to doubt you. They're going to undermine your credibility and you're going to have to work through more setbacks. So you're probably more equipped. You're probably, frankly, the more marginalized you are, you're probably more creative, more innovative, more resilient. Again, this isn't great, but it is how we are wired, right? Yep. And that's a response to societal setbacks that has been thrust upon people throughout their lives. I think that 
on the other hand, you know, well, not on the other hand, but in addition, as you get older, you just have more life experience. You collect Mm -hmm. more setbacks. And so the more setbacks you have, and you're going to have more as you get older, the more you are able to recognize them when they occur, and also to remember that you have the confidence, you have the tools to work through it. Because when you've been somewhere before, you can sort of like see it as a familiar experience and know that you've been there before so you can go through it again. Yeah. I definitely can agree to that of just like as I get older, you also like don't place an emphasis so much on the setbacks. You're like, oh, I'll survive, right? Some It may not be the best thing, but you'll survive okay. as I get older and handle things a lot better. But then there's the phrase of like, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks type thing. And then there's also the just like the new, like the internet, mm-hmm. like the fact that my I have a brother who's 10 years younger than me he had the internet from the day he was born I got it when I was maybe in high school and maybe like people who are older than me like they didn't even have it until they were an adult so they maybe don't have access to resources that we did when we were younger that may have helped and or hurt right so I'm so curious to hear more not necessarily right now but during you know in the book more research to kind of prove or disprove any of the you know kind of ideas about setbacks that we were maybe even previously taught that aren't true anymore but yeah yeah, I'm wondering if. Oh, did you want to? Did you want to add a, something to it? I was going to say to the the old dog new tricks kind of thing. I think a lot of people maybe get into a place where they've been doing the same thing for many years and they get stuck in routines. And again, they move forward because of inertia. Because mm-hmm. oh, I've worked so hard to get here. I might as well continue on this path, even if that path is no longer serving them. Yeah, and that is, I hear a lot from people like in their mid 40s and so the book actually when it went on pre-sale it hit number one in midlife management so if that tells you that certain people who are not necessarily continuously innovating or being creative or you could go through the explore phase all you want even if you're not working through a setback but people who aren't finding ways to foster creativity and resilience and strengthen themselves mentally it, that's, I think, the person who maybe gets very set in their ways and is going to sort of be less equipped to deal with setbacks. Yeah. I just was curious if, again, there's, there are, I'm sure, so many factors. That there's so many tangents down. we could go yeah, on. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But I'm wondering specifically for just your setback, right, of getting laid off, like how did you go from – corporate right working in corporate and actually having that setback to now being a consultant now you're an author which congratulations I'm writing a book so I know the feat Ah, it's quite a feat so yeah I mean you know very early stages but it's I to go from corporate I think a lot of people are like how do you become a speaker a moderator an author like I don't have any of those skills so like how did you take that setback and kind of turn that into what you are working on now my being laid off was not my setback Oh, it wasn't? Uh-uh. So when I came back from, well, when I got pregnant and when I came back from maternity leave, I was slowly and subtly sidelined and my responsibilities were slowly diminished. And I was no long, you know, once I got pregnant and I couldn't drink, I was in a very sort of booze heavy culture where there were a lot of like lengthy liquid lunches. And so, and this is like pre-pandemic when we're all in an office all the time. And this is how you, you know, they always had a saying like all business is done at the bar. So when I was the only person on our team who had ever gotten pregnant and had a baby, 
not at the organization, but on this one team. And once I announced my pregnancy, I was no longer invited to happy hours, no longer invited to the lunches. And I come back and I'm, you know, I'm a mom now and I'm the only mom on the team and no one knows how to deal with me. You know, (laughs) like I expect everything to be the same, but it's not. I'm removed from certain accounts. I'm coddled. I'm sort of like given kid gloves and I'm still not invited to the happy hours or the boozy lunches because I'm, you know, perceived as not no longer as committed to not only the business, but the socialization aspect of you know, the culture that that company had created. And so I floated along and I sort of said, okay, this is happening. I'm going to just deal with it. I'm going to try to like reprove myself and demonstrate my value and work extra hard to show these folks that I am still just as committed to my job, even though I am a parent and now I have, you know, bigger responsibilities at home. And that is actually when I started writing more because I wanted to write and I wanted to also learn from people and learn from all the leaders who I spoke to. I sought out even more people to interview because I wanted to know more about how they worked through their career obstacles because I was going through one as well. Yeah. And that's how was I came. Like, oh, was this like just like freehand, like journaling type thing or were you posting on nope. LinkedIn? Like what was the writing? What did that look like? No, I was, I've been a, a freelance writer for lots of publications for 20 years and I always oh, had so it was specifically within the publications you were doing oh that. yeah yeah okay. yeah but of I, course I, I was drawn to certain stories more than others right oh tell me more about that how did you overcome that like I wanted to get into people's messy middles of their career journeys not just go into you had a great idea you got tons of funding now you're a billion dollar business cool 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 I wanted to get into the messy middle and I think that's why people started reading my stories more because I, I went there with a lot of these mm-hmm. founders and I told stories that hadn't previously been told. And with more visibility came more opportunity. So I always had this freelance writing career on the side. But my, you know, I always worked full time at marketing firms in the corporate world. And all of a sudden, when I was sidelined after becoming a mother, I kind of made that writing, that little freelance writing hobby more front and center. And that really is what led to more opportunity That's when I started speaking on panels. I was asked to moderate certain panels because, oh, you interview people, so can you moderate this? I went from moderating to speaking to being interviewed. And then I was invited to do, you know, my first keynote eventually. Because I was telling all these stories and getting so many opportunities, I started working on the book and I got the book deal. I wrote most of the book while I was employed full time. So if anyone wants to talk about time management, I have a lot of... (laughs) I have a lot of pro tips. But yeah, I I did all of this while employed. So I worked through my setback without blowing up my life, without leaving the company. I also took on consulting clients on the side. So I had a very, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I had a very small consulting (laughs) business that I was running. Like I formed my LLC a year and a half before I got laid off. Like I was so ready, but I was so afraid to take the leap myself. I was so afraid. I was like, wait, without this big name of a company behind me, no one's going to hire me, right? I'm never going to make enough money if I'm a consultant, if I'm running my own thing, because, well, I'm just Amy. I don't have all these brand names behind me. Like, it's a different situation. Well, I handed in my manuscript, right? 48 hours later, I got laid off. <laughs> really? Wait, was it a direct correlation? Like someone heard something? Or do you think it was just like the cosmos, like finagling your path for you, so to speak? I, don't, I mean, maybe a little bit of all of those things, but I didn't ignore the signs, right? Yeah. Business was bad. There had been many rounds of layoffs that year. And don't forget, my role had been diminished after becoming a mom. I didn't run as much business. 
And when you look at numbers on a spreadsheet, my numbers went down because I was removed from certain accounts. And so if you want to talk the slow, subtle sidelining, it has significant impacts on someone's career. But I knew that and I didn't ignore it. And I prepared for it. It didn't mean I wasn't devastated when it happened. I mean, I was shocked, but I remember waiting to be like really upset, like, oh God, like I just got laid off. And I just, this like weird smile like crept across my face and I was like, oh, I have lost my mind. I have absolutely lost my mind. Why am well, I smiling? I like that's such a good like indicator of like, <laughs> okay, I'm doing the right thing. Like yeah. I, again, like that my audience is predominantly people who either want to quit or have quit. And so I, I know too, the day I gave him my resignation, I was a pig and shit. Like I was mm -hmm. so excited. Yeah. And that's when I knew, okay, the, the, I'm scared, but the excitement around it is obviously trumping the fear, which yes. means I'm on the right path. Like Correct. always, even if things look terrible, like again, don't have a company. Don't even, at the time I didn't even have a plan. At least you had a plan. I had no plan. I was just like, mom, dad, this isn't for me. I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I just can't do this. And here we are three years later, but like, it, it's yeah. so interesting how you start to plant those seeds and then when the time came for the sunflower if you will to kind of yeah. blossom and the space was made for that the, but well I made I'm it I didn't ignore I didn't ignore the signs right yeah. I knew exactly yeah. what was going to happen one day I didn't know it would be that day but I assumed I would get laid off one day just because of the way the business was going and because of the way I had been treated I was like all right I see it and I planned for it and I think that's the most important lesson right don't ignore the signs because you don't want to if you think you might want to start a side hustle do it and do it now because you never know if it might become your life raft i was just talking to a friend about this yesterday and he was saying like everyone honestly needs a side hustle because the way the economy is because of the way that we can't rely on employers nearly as much just like the loyalty that our parents experience where you work a job till you basically mm -hmm. retire like mm -hmm. doesn't really exist anymore so you kind of have to prepare be prepared at all times to adapt and change as the world does but I'm wondering for people, like a big thing that I get from people is like, that sounds great and all, but like, how do I do something outside of work without number one, like getting in trouble? Number two, like, again, like we talk about time management, doing it so that I don't burn myself out because I've been there where yeah. I like will work before work and after work. And then I like everything kind of goes to the wayside in terms of health, socialization, whatever. Um, but also like, how do you even utilize your leadership skills and even find them? within and outside of work. Like I know those are kind of a lot of things that I threw at you, but I'm, I'm sure there's something for all of those within the one, setback cycle and just, yeah. Okay. Right, I have one <laughs> answer to all of it. Motivation is the biggest predictor of success. How motivated are you to build the thing, to do the thing? And guess what? If you're working before work and after work on something that you love and you are so excited about, you are not going to feel burnt out. I was writing this book for years, for three years. And I put in weekend days, evenings. I got up at 5 a.m. like many, many days. Not every day. Everyone said, oh, like you write every day. I don't write every day. I write a lot of days, but not every day. But like my motivation was high. And when it was high, I used it. You know, I reserved time. I found time because I was so motivated to write this book. I was so motivated to write all of my articles. And I found time outside of work. So... Again, it depends how motivated you are, right? I took days off. I remember taking like a few days off to do a big like I've done edit. that before. I took a whole week fine. off from work to like build a website when I was yeah. still working because I yeah. didn't know how to do coding. <laughs> like, like literally, I, that's I also, what you do. Yeah. And I also like everything I did, every little bit that I built, I did it little by little. And so when I was building my consulting business, I was like, okay, 
in the month of December, I will build my website. You don't need a month to build a website, but when you're working full time and you have all these other responsibilities, giving yourself a month makes you chip away little by little every day. When I was writing the book, I gave myself like a chapter a month. You know what I mean? I feel like giving myself like a small goal with a big time frame and building that in helped me not only meet, but often surpass my goal. And it made me chip away a little bit every day. And again, like I was so motivated to build my own business, to sign on consulting clients so that I would have this life wrapped and also to give me the confidence that, you know, indicated that I could do this on my own should I need to one day. And lo and behold, I Mm -hmm. did. And, you know, for the writing as well, like I wanted this book in the world and I was making it happen one way or another. So I really, really think it goes back to just how motivated are you to do this? So if you have the motivation, like which I can attest to, you also need, you can't just not be like you have to be motivated by by something, whether it's money, freedom, whatever. Now, how do you do something outside of work, right? In this case, like writing your book or even the consulting stuff without getting in trouble? Because I remember that was one thing for me when I was, they would tell me like, you can't work another job while you're working here. Like I literally had to sign something. And like, you know, so that makes it hard of like, oh, or then I I can even imagine as you being a mom, like you're already being sidelined and they're already saying you can't, you can't take on responsibilities and stuff. And now you're going to do this too. Like, you know, it's almost the phrasing of like, oh, well, you're not really, you know, being part of the team. Like you're not really fully committed if you're building something else. Like how do you do those things without getting in trouble, whether it's something within the, within the organization or outside of it? I think it really, again, it goes back to where where are your priorities and where is your motivation? I was open and transparent about everything I was doing outside of work. And for me, a lot of the time, you know, I'm, I'm in marketing and I was at a marketing firm. I got a lot of access to certain people and companies that we wouldn't have otherwise had access to. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I remember profiling like top executives at Pinterest and we were like a social media marketing agency. So I, I brought it. I said, OK, I'll yes, I'm going to profile you for Forbes. Great. We'll do this interview. And then I said, you know, now that we've spoken, would I be able to bring you into my company to speak to some of my colleagues? And so I would get access to certain people like that and they would come to speak to my company. And, and so I kind of. I was very transparent with like, I do this on the side and people loved it and they were very supportive of it to my face. And and I, I used being present in certain rooms that no one else at my agency was present in created opportunities for me to like bridge the two worlds. And mm-hmm. so, yes, maybe there was resentment. Maybe there were whispers of, is she as committed to this? because she's doing that. But guess what? There were whispers of it when I had a baby, so I didn't care anymore. I was like, you know what? If you want to whisper, whisper. I'm doing what I love, and I'm so proud of the work I was doing. I took so much pride in it, and I Mm -hmm. posted it publicly. What I didn't post publicly at the time was that I was taking on consulting clients on the side. But I checked every agreement that I had signed when I was an employee of my company, and every consulting client I took on on the side was not in violation of that. They would have never had have had the budget to hire a firm. And that's why they were working with an independent consultant. And I wasn't doing work that was in conflict with anything I was working on at the day job. So it was it was above board, mm-hmm. but I didn't like broadcast it because I did feel a little conf- like I shouldn't broadcast this. Once I got laid off and started broadcasting that I had my own firm, 
Visionaries Collective, and I do, you know, fractional CMO work. I do narrative strategy, branding strategy, ghostwriting, LinkedIn strategy. All of a sudden, I had a full book of clients three months. Three months after I got laid off, I had a full book of clients, and I had to start turning people away. So, high quality fun. problem. <laughs> Totally high quality problem. I, I mean, but yeah. I was shocked. But I had all, once because I had the foundation in place. Yeah. It was not a tough t- transition. I just had to start talking about it publicly. Yeah, and I think the cool thing too is now even like we'll go with the LinkedIn thing because it's more professional and corporate-y mm-hmm. uh, than it would be like going on TikTok. Like I think a lot of times now people are more accepting of the personal brand, like mm-hmm. growing the professional network, even if you're posting on social, whether it's through stories or education or again, whatever your kind of avenue is going to be. And obviously the industry and topics you're going to talk about. But it doesn't seem, again, maybe I haven't been in corporate for three years, so I, I don't quite see through the same lens anymore, but it seems like there's a little bit more flexibility in terms of like using these platforms to foster networking and connection than it is to like, hey, I'm building a side business or something that may be in cahoots with your current job. I think you have to really look at your employment agreement if you have one and talk to HR yeah. if you're worried. There were actually a couple times I went to my HR team to say, like, is this a conflict I want to make sure? Because I didn't want to make a dumb decision that cost me Mm -hmm. my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was very careful about that. And I would encourage anyone to be careful about that because as you're exploring any side opportunities, you do not want it to interfere with the thing that is paying your salary and giving you health insurance. You know what I mean? Like, leave when you're ready or when you're forced out. But don't make a decision that's going to, you know, don't try to don't try to sneakily do anything. Be fully transparent. And if you're not sure, check with HR. You don't have to go to your boss. Just go to HR. Yeah. I wish I had gone down that route many times. But of course, like there's the idea that HR is they're obviously there to protect the company. And of totally. course, the employees, too. But it's, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of like, oh, I don't trust them. So I'm just not going to say anything. And that's but valid. You may, you know, not- like. You might not be able to trust your own HR department, but if you are doing work and you are taking payment from someone outside of your full-time employment, you should just know the rules and the restrictions. And then, yeah, make whatever decision you want, right? But understand if something might be risking your full-time employment. It's a slippery, slippery slope. But I think, again, like with this new kind of wave of remote workers, Mm -hmm. people being what they call like overemployed where they're working multiple jobs like just to survive I think it's becoming a little bit more acceptable but of course you have you know like the the, one of the companies I worked for was like a large asset management company they would not probably they would not be okay with that which is fine like here I am not I'm a quitter now but it's yeah to everyone there were scenarios you have to make your decision based on the information that is available to you at the time this was great. When does your book come out again? It comes out really soon, right? March 19th, but you can pre-order oh my God, now. So, like a month. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Month. Wait, on Amazon? Like all the places? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, your independent bookstore. Yeah. You can leave cool. a review on Goodreads talking about how excited you are if you want. <laughs> I love, I'm a Goodreads snob, so I'm, yes, I'm yeah. please, yeah. please, please. I'll definitely look at that. <laughs> I'm wondering, just as we kind of wrap this up, is there anything that I hadn't touched on or even like advice you would give to someone who's going through a setback or even the younger version of you who had gone through a setback? What, you know, what advice would you give? I would tell the younger version of myself that you are going to become exactly the person that you want to be. But you're going to work really hard to get there. And that's Mm -hmm. what I will say to anyone else. You can become the person, the business owner, the, you know, whoever you want to be. 
you just have to work really, really hard to get there and you have to decide what's going to motivate you. And the motivation can change and that's totally fine. And so can the version of you. I think that's one thing too. Like people don't let themselves evolve. You have to let yourself evolve. You have to be open to the evolution, but also stay curious and always be trying and learning new things because that is what's going to keep you sharp and keep you confident and help you next time you find yourself in the midst of the setback cycle. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Anyone who wants to connect with Amy or purchase her book, you know, the pre-order, you can find those links in the show notes. And thank you again for coming on. This was, I think it's going to be super helpful for for the people who are experiencing setbacks right now. Good. I hope so. I really hope so. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. My pleasure.